0: Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz piano legend Terry Waldo. We talked to him about his new 2021 CD, I Double Dare You, teamed up with the great jazz vocalist Tatiana Evermarie. They joined forces to release their debut collaboration of upbeat jazz and pop songs from the 20s and 30s. We also talked to this legendary Ohio native about his very long career in music. He is best known for his contribution to ragtime and his role in reviving interest in this form. He's got some great stories. Get to know him. Enjoy.
1: Well, Terry, thanks for taking a minute out from the jazz I appreciate
0: it.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm glad to do it.
1: So you have a brand new duo album out with Tatiana Ava Marie and your new single button up your overcoat. And and it's really a celebration album I and mean, it's kind of the music you've been doing for, for your jazz existence. Talk to me a little bit about getting, getting together with Tatiana and what this project means to
2: you. I've, I've been listening to Tatiana and, and performing with her at parties and, you know various various events uh over the years mostly at, at Scott Asen's uh, legendary parties he's the the man who has started the the new record label Turtle Bay Records he has parties about twice a year at, at his at his uh, large apartment which brings in the the best traditional jazz musicians in New York and often we we bring in musicians from uh, all over the country to play for this. Tatiana has has always attended these things, and we 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 made a a bunch of recordings of of most of the musicians that that uh, had played at these at at, at these events, including uh, singer Veronica Swift, and we you know we recorded all these people, and then. Scott came up with the idea that it would be nice to do a whole album with a with a vocal track on each one uh a singer and and the the all-star band that that I've been using which I I call Waldo's Gotham City Band and that name has applied to my New York groups since all uh, well, about 1980 when I first started recording like that in in new york and so uh tatiana you know we've been listening to her at these things and she you know she has a a, a solid reputation doing the stuff that that, that she does you yeah. on, know online she gets millions of hits on her on her videos and and uh, you know she's been doing quite well singing uh this kind of stuff for years and so we we just thought, boy, it would be a nice mix to do a to do an album uh of of the two of us. And of course my part in it is is mainly uh putting the band together and, and running the band. I sing on one track on the album. Every everything has Tatiana singing and a lot of space uh for the the band. And of course, this this band is guys who, who play in the style of of the twenties. Basically, uh, I I would sit say that the the sweet spot for the kind of stuff we're doing would be around 1930, stylistically. And a lot of the tunes that we recorded were were originally recorded around that time. Uh, some of them date to to before. Uh, you know, and some of them are later, but that's, that's stylistically, you know, the kind of thing that we do. I am probably the only guy in the, the trad jazz scene who plays, uh, two beat style. Now we mix it between two and four, but most of the people that are playing what we would call trad jazz, and there's a there's a scene in New York, you know, of people, you know, playing that kind of thing, but almost everybody else uh, plays more a later swing style that's kind of a four beat feel, and uh, I'm about the only one that basically goes back to the to the to the 20s style of uh, of two beat. And of course I, I come at it from, I start with ragtime. Um I'm probably the leading authority in the world on, on ragtime music. I, I wrote the book, uh, This Is Ragtime, and, and my, my piano teacher was Yubi Blake, who was the great master of, of ragtime. And, uh, oh, I had a, I had a radio series on, on NPR, uh, called, called This Is Ragtime. Uh, back in the seventies, and I've made I don't know how many albums of that kind of stuff, but I but I but I start at nineteen hundred, and then I I go forward, whereas almost everybody else that's been playing this stuff uh, starts at a more modern position, and then and sort of maybe starts to to look back at the earlier styles. So this one. Uh, Was, was basically Scott's idea. And so we, uh, we got together and, and picked out a a bunch of tunes that, that we all liked and recorded it. And it just came out great. I'm just so pleased with, with, with everybody that played on this. And of course we had the, you know, the best guys that you could find. And Tatiana is just magnificent uh I had not realized, you know, having played with her casually in, in, in a lot of circumstances, just, just what a what a great professional she is. She's been singing since she was four years old professionally and she was on television when she when she was four and I mean you can still see videos of her when she was seven years old singing on television in, in Switzerland. And uh, her father was a uh, composer and conductor for films and television. So she grew up basically in, in recording studios, and uh, she really knows how to, you know, how to how to work it. When we got, when we got into mixing this thing, she really knew how to to get the the sound out of the instruments and how to get the subtleties out of out of the music. She's the first person i've worked with uh in in years and you know i've made god how many recordings maybe 60 65 albums worth over the years of of ragtime and jazz of really jazz and work with all kinds of singers but uh boy she really really knows her stuff and she's a she's such a a believable singer you know, she puts everything that she has into it uh, when she sings, even even when it's when it's these kind of lyrics that are that are light. Uh, you know, like "Do Do Do" with that, 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 that George Gershwin tune we did. That's the first one on on the album, and she just gives it gives it the right flavor. They're they're they're, they're very clever lyrics, but but you have to, you know, you have to believe in them. When you when you sing that kind of thing, did that answer your question, or am I just babbling?
1: No, you you gave me you answered a lot of questions that I had in one. But what I want to ask you specifically is, how did a kid from Ohio grow up to become such a uh, esteemed player with so much history in the world of jazz?
2: The music just fell into my lap, and I was called to it. All, you know, right, right from the the beginning. Uh, and I was I was born in in Ironton, Ohio, in 1944. And when I was living in in Ironton, uh, we had a a, a neighbor who lived two door da- two doors down, who had probably the best collection of of records that you could find in the in the city. He had an opera and uh you know various classical pieces of music plus plus pop music and so i was very interested just in listening to to records and so forth Now I mean, you have to realize when when i came up the only records that were around were seventy eight. and we didn't have television i go back to before television and then 78 records and and uh you know those those old jukeboxes that had the bubbles coming up on the side and and that magnificent bunch of uh, paraphernalia that that played these things. And so, as a as a little kid, I was I was interested in that. Then we we moved to Columbus, Ohio, from Ironton when I was five years old, and lo and behold, just across the street from me, what was John Baker, who had been the second jazz record collector in the world. And he had a magnificent collection of jazz records. He was also the guy who decided to collect jazz films. And so he collected uh, every piece of of footage that you could get. He, he He got stuff when NBC would throw out kinescopes. He'd collect those, and and so he had the the world's largest collection of jazz films. He had also been the collector of piano rolls. He had the world's largest collection of of piano rolls. You know these hand played rolls by James B Johnson and and Scott Joplin and U B Blake and all those people. So, growing up in in Columbus, Ohio, of all places, I had this magnificent collection of stuff across the street from me. And I hung out there all the time and, and listened to all of that stuff. And then, uh, at, at some point, I became interested in ragtime music, just having heard it on on television uh, here and there, or or, an, or or on all the old records that I, that I used to listen to. And you have to realize that in the in the fifties and in the well, in the in the late '40s, when I started listening to records, there was all kinds of music that were just around. You know, you heard, you heard Dixieland on 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 radio. You know, there were there were pop hits that were that were Dixieland music, and there was ragtime played and, and just just pop tunes that that you heard at that time. So for whatever reason, I got attracted to, primarily to first to, to ragtime music, uh, and then in Dixieland, and and so uh, we formed a a a Dixieland band. We called it at that time. I don't think I don't think it's even politically correct to use <laughs> Dixieland these days. But uh, you know that's pretty much what what we what what we called it. So my my band in in high school was called the Fungus Five Plus Two. Our music grows on you. That was our motto, and we were on Ted Mac's original Amateur Hour uh, in 1963. I've still got a I've got a kinescope of of that show, and and I was playing banjo at that time. So I I picked up. Uh, banjo and I played tuba, and I played piano. Those were the primary instruments that I that I was attracted to. And the the banjo I took up because I couldn't find anybody else to play it, and so I took that up. And there were some there, there were some good banjo players in Columbus, Ohio, who taught me some things. Uh, you know, people are were, were involved in jazz, and uh, so then after after high school. Uh, I, I, I went away to uh, New Orleans in 1964. I was 20 years old, uh, and that was that was the first time I was seriously away from Columbus. And I I played at the Red Garter in New Orleans, and and that was a banjo bar, I guess you'd call it. Uh, they had two or three banjos in the front line and. Than a, a tuba, usually playing in in, a, in a, a piano, so I could replace each of those those instruments for fifteen minutes, and then take fifteen minutes out for my break out out of each hour. So I went down to New Orleans, 20, year, 20 years old. I had a great time down there, uh, learned a lot of stuff, uh, uh, got to play with the guys who were still. Playing at Preservation Hall and in different places down there, who had been the the inventors of jazz, and uh, you know, so I, I soaked all of that up, and and you know, learned how to play from from the people that were down in New Orleans. Soaked up that scene. So the following year, I I went out to San Francisco, and I uh, played also for the Red Garter out there, but I stayed in Turk Murphy's. Club, actually over overhead of his club, he had a place called Earthquake Magoons, and of course Kirk Murphy was one of the the people that that started the the revival of of traditional jazz back in the forties when he he played with the Lou Waters band, and then he also had a you know had a band of his own that that played played traditional jazz. You know, he was a, I and mean, he he was something. So I I had a room for a dollar a day over top of earthquake magoons, and then I used to play intermission piano for Turk from time to time. For a while, I I I even played banjo with him, you know, as a band. Uh, then I you know I got to know all the people that had that had uh, been responsible for the all the San Francisco and West Coast revival. I I made uh, recordings out there. I I played tuba with a a band uh, that we we put together on Sundays. Ted Shaver's Jelly Roll Jazz Band. It was kind of a Lou Waters two trumpet band, and the recordings that we made. They just you know they turned on a tape recorder. Came out a few years ago actually, but they were I guess they were the first ones that I commercially that were recorded, and I was playing tuba on those things. I started my own band, uh, Waldo's Gut Bucket Syncopators, Um I guess in the late 60s, and then we made our first album for George Buck GHB Records in 1969, and we recorded that in Columbus, Ohio, and then over the years I've, I've, I kept, uh, the Gut Bucket Syncopators More, I can't say together, because we would get together on occasions, and I would bring in musicians from all over the country, actually. We brought in several guys from New York, and then I had uh, people that came in from Chicago. Uh, uh, My trumpet uh, and uh, clarinet player were from Cincinnati, Uh, and... Over the years, we made a number of recordings and played at various festivals and so forth. That's kind of a legendary band, actually. Uh, uh, people have called it the the gold standard of of trad jazz bands, and it was it, it was it was quite amazing. We we played more of the I guess you would call it the the, the black jazz tradition uh you know we sounded sounded more like uh jelly roll morton and, and uh, king oliver and and you know those those kinds of, of bands so then um uh, well, let's see i was i i i did a lot of television when i was in i was there i put together my radio show uh for n p r called this is ragtime uh in Seventy-two, I believe that was, and that played for I think four years on on the NPR radio stations. Then I I, I was then I started going back and forth between New York and Columbus to play gigs. Ragtime started becoming popular, uh, you know, in the in the early seventies. So I I I started uh, coming to New York, and I would stay with with U B Blake. Uh, and uh, then I played, you know, various clubs, clubs in New York, and I I did that for a number of years. That I would come back and forth. I was uh, I started uh, getting into theater. Uh, Tom O'Horgan saw me perform with U B Blake uh, in 1974, I think. Uh, I was doing a concert at the Theater DeLise in New York here with U B and, and Tom O'Horgan. Who had been the the director of Hair and Jesus Christ Superstar and you know a bunch of things? He was you know he he was quite the innovative uh, director, but he was doing a a, a musical <laughs> about President Warren Harding of all things, and he saw me perform with U B and and uh, you know asked me if I could write in that style, and I said sure. I hadn't done anything like that, but but I, but I did it, <laughs> and we we did a, a a big workshop production in 1976, and that got me into doing theater stuff, and I I, I I ended up doing a lot of theater over the years, one man shows, and mainly related to ragtime and 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 1920s mild uh, jazz, you know, all, all of the various uh, productions. So during that time, oh God, I, I, I recorded with, uh, oh for instance, Edith Wilson, who was uh, one of the first women to record blues back in the 20s. She started recording blues in 1921 and then she was on Broadway in Hot Chocolates uh, which was the the uh the show that Louis Armstrong appeared in and it had music by Fats Waller and uh, the song Black and Blue was was written for her but anyway she was still around in the in the 70s so I made uh, a couple of albums that she sang on and did some TV things Um uh, you know, later later years. Let's say I worked with uh, Susan LaMarche, who was a great singer of of twenties of style kind of things. Uh, I met her in in uh, Columbus. And she's on several of my albums. Uh, in in more recent years, I I, I worked with uh, Ruth Brisbane, who was probably the last. Of the classic style blues singers, she had been on Broadway. Uh, she played in Raisin, and uh, but but she sang Ma Rainey tunes on on several of my albums and Bessie Smith kind of things. And and she was she really she came out of that tradition, and she was she was really a, a great singer of that style. So. Uh, Oh, I don't know. I've worked with a number of other singers on on various albums and things like that. So I think that gets you down to the present. Absolutely. So everyone has a perception of you, your
1: family, your friends, your fans, but ultimately you're the one driving the truck, leading your life. Who do you think you are? (laughs) Who do I think I am? Yes.
2: Oh, God. God, that's a tricky question
0: who do you <laughs> think you be. are
2: <laughs> I usually hear that in a negative sense it's uh, some woman yelling who do you think you are
1: or a wise guy but, uh, from one of the two like who do you think you are
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, well I'm, I'm a lucky son of a bitch that I got to I was born at, at just the right time to be able to connect with with the old musical traditions uh of jazz and ragtime and 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 to uh and to be able to to play that kind of stuff uh up up until the present i you know i i i, I tapped into uh you know the old music uh you know partly because that, that the stuff was still around you know when I was when when I was born and I was I was born oh god I don't even know what generation they call it uh in 1944 it was before the the uh you know the 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 wild birth rate that that happened after after world war 2 so I I was born before that um, there aren't too many people in my generation, uh, actually. Uh, but I, but I tapped into that. I, I was able to connect with, with UB Blake, who knew everybody, you know, he could, he could show me how I, all of these people played. Uh, he, he used to show me how, how one leg Willie used to play or, or cat eye Harry, or or uh, <laughs> big eye this or that, you know, all of these deformed piano players who were masters, you know, who never made any recordings and so forth. But he showed me how all the all these guys played, and so I I learned from him. And he, I mean, he knew Scott Joplin. He showed me how Scott Joplin played the piano. He knew Jelly Roll Morton. He knew so so I was able to. Tap into to all of all of that that old tradition. I mean, and I got I got over the years to play with uh, people who had made records with uh, with Jelly Roll. Uh, Bill Dillard, who was a trumpet player uh, around New York, here had had both toured and 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 made records with uh, Jelly Roll Morton and King Oliver, and he played with Louis Armstrong. He was a trumpet player around New York here, so I I, I got to work with him and I got to work with people who had played with uh big spiderbeck oddly enough in in ohio there was a, a great tradition of, of that music so i i i was able to uh to play with bands that that had had been been uh rec- recording stuff in the in the late 40s Gene mail's dixieland rhythm kings which had started making records i think about 1940 Eight uh, and was part of the the revival band, but I used to to tour with him, and he would bring in in all these musicians that uh, George Brunis, who had been on many early jazz records, and uh, uh, or Spiegel Wilcox, you know, who had, who had played with a lot of these early bands, and and you know, so I I I got to tap into to, to that 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 tradition and 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 connect it and then then bring it bring it forward so then uh you know i i i got so much just being in columbus if you can imagine actually when i was a kid the world's largest record store literally was three blocks from my house also in columbus ohio and uh anthony's record store which was in a what would what was previously a supermarket bought two copies of every record that was that was released anywhere in the world, and you could go listen to them. You know, so I'd go up. I I had my paper route and I would I would uh, I would go up, and they had them all laid out, and so forth, so you could see these these albums and, and take a listen to them. So I I I learned from from all of that. It just happened to be in the right place to, to you know to make all those all of those connections. I, I'm 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 i I I'm a guy who who. My my motto has has been the music. Comes first, is 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 the first thing, and I always I always try to apply that. The the uh, I don't know what 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 can i say about that the, the i i i have i have been able to uh somehow carry on in music and, and it's 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 like it's it's like one thing has always seemed to lead to another thing and you know for a while i was i was gonna be a, a, a film director and i took uh <clears throat> i have my master's degree in, basically in film from ohio state university and the Vietnam war came along and I was being drafted so I had to join the army band reserve unit in Columbus, Ohio uh in 1970 because I was I was about to be drafted uh to to go to Vietnam and I I at that point I was going to have a career I was going to go out to California and go to a, one of the good film schools and I I, I wanted to be a film director but I couldn't do it because I had to stay and play, uh, go to meetings, you know, for the reserve band unit. So I played offensive tuba for six years, uh, you know, in the in the in the army army band unit. But that, that meant I couldn't pursue my film career. But uh, but I was a I was a I was, I was making money as as a film editor in Columbus for a while. I taught film at Dennis Denison University. Uh, you know, I, 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 I I shot commercials. I did everything that you could possibly do, but I couldn't, I couldn't go, go out to, uh, California where I, I would have, I would have gone, gotten my PhD and, you know, gotten into that scene. But so, but the music was still there, so I, I just continued to play music. So it's kinda, it's kinda drawn me, uh, and, and it's, it's led me to, to be able to, to work in, all kind of media i've done a, a a lot of television uh i you know I, while i was in columbus every station had me do specials you know where i did ragtime Some i had you know i had my full band performances and so forth uh i i, I I've, I've done uh, radio i i got a you know i, I got a, a opportunity to do my uh radio show for npr uh, this is ragtime. time. So I got a, got a chance to do that. The, all the theater things I've been able to do. I got a chance to write the, write my book, which has been in, in, uh, in publication, uh, for since it came out, I think there's been four different publishers. It's never gone out of print. Uh, jazz at Lincoln center has, uh, has produced the, um, the last version of it, which has all colorized plates and, and I updated the story of ragtime. That that came out a few years ago and Winton Marsalis did the introduction to that. So I I've been able to write, uh, it's also led to I've been able to write articles in, in various magazines. But that's all come from the music. You know, so it's 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 led me to you know a lot of different kinds of careers and, and a lot of a lot of ways of of getting this this uh, this music out there and getting the stories of it. We're working on a documentary on ragtime music right now, uh, cool. which um, we've shot a lot of the a lot of the performances I've done with my band and, and various other sources, and we have uh, Dick Hyman. Uh, is is uh, we've shot footage with him, and uh, uh, Wynton Marsalis an interview about the relationship between jazz and ragtime, uh, and uh, John Baptiste uh, we've done done an interview with him and and we're you know we're putting that together right now. That's that's uh, that's occupying a lot of my time trying to get the a good sizzle reel put together so we can. You know, hopefully, sell out to uh, Netflix or you know somebody like that. Cool, man. I've also recently uh, I've been doing a a podcast, and uh, because of the you know we've all had to stay inside, I've I've, I've had some time, so I I've, I have a podcast out called "This Is Ragtime," uh, which uh, your listeners can find wherever they. Where will they get get uh, podcasts? And it's really about ragtime and and traditional jazz and blues and all that sort of stuff. But I approach it from uh, the the first jazz was called ragtime, and and mostly the the kind of jazz that I play, and including on on this new album is 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 more related to ragtime than it is to to say swing which kind of defines w- the way people think about jazz so i'm calling the whole program uh this is ragtime but it really has a lot of trad jazz and a lot of famous people uh, uh do you do you know the name leon redbone
1: yeah absolutely
2: i've i've made i'm on about 28 cuts of his, of his recordings uh, cool. and I wrote songs for him I, I've been doing that and, and, and on each of the uh, the podcasts incidentally I have one of my old radio shows that were called This Is Writing Time from, from the 70s that have interviews with everybody
1: very cool, well I'll make sure to put that in my description, but Terry I really appreciate you opening up about the new album with Tatiana and your life and music and, and good luck with everything
2: thank you very much uh, it's been a pleasure to, to uh, talk with you. Thanks for listening and tuning
0: in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest cats in Ohio, New York City, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Terry for his time and cool. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe DiVino on the iTunes Store. Visit Jazz at YouTube.com. And for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the NeonJazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends.
2: Neon Jazz